Hi, this is Monica, and this is the Open Arted Podcast, exploring why making art is more practical than you think. In today's conversation, you will hear a Lithuanian values consultant, Jurgita Gokšte, whose mission is to consult organizations about the importance of defining values and culture in their workplace. But what kind of product is values? And then, what kind of product is music? And how do you sell the unsellable? All these questions we discussed with Jurgita. This is why I believe that it is so important to look beyond your industry and beyond your limited beliefs, even though it can be very, very uncomfortable. Jurgita holds Master's of Management and Administration degree. She is certified Barrett Value Center Consultant, and for seven years, she directed a fund for talented students at the University of Management and Economics. This conversation is divided into two parts. In the first part, we talked about professional roles and what happens when you change them. And in the second part, we discussed archetypes. What are they and why they are so important to know about, you'll hear in this conversation. a charitable fund of a private business school, even more difficult that you are raising charity for somebody who has where to live and for what what to eat. Mm. And uh, so I became really interested in how to connect community, how to achieve some coherence between alumni, between current students, between students who are studying an executive program. And, uh, of course, I was in the field where most of the donations happened for some bigger meaning or bigger purpose or because values match. Some of the donations are quite practical. If you find a win-win solution where the donor can get some other kind of value while being a donor, it's okay. But uh, also quite sustainable donations where, where values match. And I remember when I started working in charitable fund, I started really got very interested in leadership. I didn't have anything. Budgets very small. Uh, volunteers are not your employees, so the main instrument what you have is yourself, at least in the beginning. So I went to study leadership program. As I said, I was working in a business school and really grateful for this business school for possibility to study and to learn while being there. And in one of the leadership programs, uh, lecturer have showed a module of Richard Barrett, uh, Barrett Value Center model of seven levels of consciousness, uh, which are connected with values I didn't know then. I only looked at those seven levels of consciousness. And for me, it was interesting when people start to do something out of purpose, out of meaning, not just to survive or secure your living in the world. And I got interested in this model and I started uh, looking out for it. I bought a book, I started reading, I started... <laughs> it 
looking for what, what other opportunities could be with it. And it was very intuitive. It was, I don't know, in spiritual terms, someone would say that it was a call or some kind of attraction or very big motivation to learn about it. And uh, one day my husband asked me, what else would you like to do? This is actually not for the first time in my life when in particularly important moment he asked this question. And I said to him that there is one interesting methodology I would like to learn more about it. And afterwards it turned out that after some time I became certified by a value center consultant and started working with values. And in the beginning as a side, as a side work, freelance work. And afterwards I felt that uh, I need to leave the charitable fund, the, which was the corporate role actually and to, to become freelance consultant. And I was very, very scared because the topic of values in organizations, what kind of, of topic it is. <laughs> I understand that you are teaching someone sales, then you can really... <laughs> it feels like magic out of it. <laughs> but, but, but if you work with values, so what kind of freelance work I will create for myself? But it's not the first time when I had to create a professional roles from this role from this scratch. So I just started uh, developing, communicating about it. And I'm more than seven years now in this role. And I have no doubt that organization needed, organizations need it. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I have a lot of work, meaningful work. I have a few points to ask because I remember yesterday when I was uh, uh, listening to some of your conversations and it actually reminiscence what you just said about this, uh, that you didn't know how to sell your work because it's almost like uns unsellable. And then I thought that uh, the product which we create as artists, we think the same way that it's how can you market this? It, it even feels wrong to market it. And so that's one point. And another point, I'm really interested to know this transition you did from being in a corporate job, which was more or less stable, although it was very up to you, you know, how much money you will raise and if, if, if it's going to be successful fund. But you made this decision to go on your own and uh, again, do the free freelance work, which is uh, most time the case for musicians and artists. You know, we live from freelance work, and we always have this doubt: oh, maybe sh I should doing I should start doing something more stable because this this constant balance between uh, doing something meaningful, pur uh, purposeful, but at the same time, maybe not always giving you the stability. And uh, the third point, which I wanted to say is, uh, I feel in a way that I no longer have resources to do charity work. I mean, I cannot say that I've been doing, you know, the charity work, which you have been doing because it's like very directly charity collecting money, but you know, with the festival and, uh, we've been raising funds so we can facilitate other musicians to come to the festival. And I somehow feel that I've been giving so much my energy and my time and, you know, 
doing concerts for free and you know organizing everything myself and it feels that the the time has come that i i i can no longer enjoy it and it becomes uh more like a burden and i i, I question uh, myself how it is possible because you know i'm giving to the community but at the same time i feel that there's resources are already gone and i have to kind of fill the glass again I, I think I see a lot of similar things in, in the pattern that you told, that you were fundraising for the Festival Piano Fest to bring in more musicians so that they could create together, get some additional education, not, um, not from music field, not necessarily. So very similar thing was when I was working in charitable fund. I needed to go out and to do outside all the visible activities and to reach out to people and find uh, which was uh, in the beginning quite uh, quite uh, i was uh, a bit shy it i needed some courage really and some will to push myself out and to go and ask uh, for charitable support uh, to support education of other people but I, I had been doing this for seven years and quite a good cycle to fully fulfill the professional role and also a good time to change it because this role can get stuck on your face or you can get stuck or in the grip of the role. It's quite healthy actually to have several roles or to change the role time to time. But I think uh, all this experience was very meaningful for me and prepared me for the second chapter, which is I need even more openness and courage to go outside and to market my work. And I'm not fundraising this time, but actually, as you say, I have to sell my ability to facilitate my organizational consulting skills, uh, the way I use methodologies, how it can be uh, meaningful or applicable for organizations or for individuals. And it needs even more courage. Because when, when to look back, it's much easier to fundraise for someone else. Yes. <laughs> and to really ask uh, or invite or to sell uh, your services, it's another story. So, you know, in computer games, you, you have on the screen usually the button which appears you have been upgraded to next level. <laughs> so it means that you will need more courage, more skills, maybe more complexity, but also it's more challenging, more interesting, and uh, for me, more meaningful. Because in my previous work as the director of charitable fund, it was meaningful. I was fundraising for education of talented students. So it was meaningful. Mm -hmm. But when I work with hundreds of people, now more than seven years, I can make direct impact. So 
So I would say if one can make bigger impact than makes, needs to go there. Why it's possibility to use all individual resources, internal, external, to make a positive impact and to create more meaning. So I feel that it's more meaningful, but also more challenging. Yeah. So, so you hear from what I say, your first question was about the transition from corporate work into freelance. Uh, in general, now, when I work with groups and group coaching sessions, when we talk about cases of people changing roles, changing professional roles, this is a very vulnerable period. Even if they use a metaphoric cards, so for example, the group which I have been working with one month ago, they have been working about employee who didn't change role, but change the team with which the employee was working. So moved to another area geographically, into another office, into another team. And uh, when the owner of the case took a metaphoric card, it was a card of a baby in hands. And I asked, why this card? And uh, this executive told, I only, after working with this case, I understood uh, how sensitive and, and vulnerable person is when moves into new role. In that group, we had somebody who is in executive role for three months. We had somebody who just returned from maternity leave and also as a new role. And we had somebody who moved from another team to, an, to the, from one team to the other. Each time it was very vulnerable because when you get a new role, uh, you don't know how it will fit your personality. You don't know what impact it will make to your identity. You don't know how your identity will change uh, in eyes of other people. And all those things are very uncertain and, and very vulnerable. So to say your skin becomes very thin. And uh, now when I look back, my skin was very thin. Thanks God that I had enough... Uh, Wisdom to call uh, to psychologist and something like seven months or something I was uh, visiting psychologist and she really helped me very much to understand what is happening, uh, how much I am afraid and how much my fear has nothing to do with reality. <laughs> And I'm very, very grateful for her and for anybody who is in transition from one role into another. I really suggest to have some support or to have some coach or to have psychologist. And of course, any kind of support is very important. So for example, my family, I feel that I have support from my family and my husband. When you start uh, something new, as for me, it was uh, many new things, new thing to be a freelance. And when I started, I knew only one month, one month ahead. I, I, and I have family, two kids. So it's really, it's really challenging. But now I feel, 
I feel quite calm. Of course, it's a, a, a lot of uncertainty, but I can tolerate much more uncertainty than I could then. And if I felt, you know, as, you, as we talk sometimes, there's imposter or broken or not good enough. But I'm really grateful for that my husband never doubted that. That when I start believing that it is like this, he never thinks like that. So it's really a very big support to step back uh, on your feet. I don't know if uh, you recognize this, if it resonates or not. It resonates a lot. I think, um, I think it's, I know this with my friends, especially feminine friends, that we, we tend to uh, overthink or overanalyze and uh, create scenarios which, <laughs> which uh, do not exist. And uh, my husband as well, he's like, just calm down, it's going to happen. <laughs> he always brings me uh, to earth. So I, I, I can relate to that a lot. But you see, it's about creativity. If you are creative enough, you can create much worse scenarios. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a gift. <laughs> You're right. Um, wow, so many things I, I, I want to reflect. And uh, just last point I, I wrote down is the tolerating uncertainty. And uh, how did you learn to, to do that? You know, you know because as, as musicians, we always... We, we need to tolerate that. Otherwise we go and, um, maybe perform less. Uh, so that's one point. And another point I wanted to say about roles is very interesting <clears throat> because I've been thinking a lot about, uh, about that, especially because, you know, I was raised uh, since very, very little to have one role. My role was to be on stage and perform con concerts. Mm -hmm. and be on stage and mm -hmm. be with people. And uh, I'm now learning that I have so many other roles. If I talk about my professional roles, I, you know, I have to do paperwork. Uh, I have to uh, mm -hmm. be active on social media. So I have to be uh, a marketer. Uh, I'm running this nonprofit organization through which we organize Konas PNFS. So I have to write applications. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm becoming a, administrator and then you know I have to teach and it's very interesting because somehow in all of the roles except playing mm -hmm. uh, I feel this is on a very personal note I feel um, as if those roles are, are lower and uh, for example I feel that my role uh, of being on stage and performing is higher than me teaching someone to play piano. When I listen to you, a couple of words come into my mind, maybe uh, that uh, we can see how the difference between roles is unfolding. That roles have not only different name, as a classical musician or teacher, for example, uh, but also roles have different different perception in other people's minds, especially when we think about status, image 
authority, these kind of things. Uh, they are very intangible. But of course, imagine somebody sitting in the Philharmonium or Opera House and uh, watching the, or listening to performance of ballet, which is also classical kind of performance, like a classical music, uh, the, the same, so to say, field, which has some similarities. So when I am as attendee, how to say, of, of a performance, so I sit somewhere in the dark, in the hall, and I'm looking uh, somewhere up to the stage and watching and listening for some kind of higher experience, so to say, because it is not my routine day experience. It is uh, a festival uh, for the soul. It is something that I make as a gift for myself to go out of my grave, for example, everyday life. So this is something uh, which goes or is projected into the role when you are performing on the stage. And uh, it is also when I am, I have also some similarities with the artists performing on the stage. Not exactly that I am on the stage, although sometimes I am if it's a conference and uh, if I'm doing presentation, for example. But if I'm facilitating a group session or facilitating a seminar, uh, and I am an authority figure in the group. So the group members are projecting into me more things than they are projecting into each other. And these things can be nice things and can be not very nice things. And uh, because of these projections, uh, the art of performing on the stage is actually also higher temperature art. So when we talk about tolerating uncertainty, it has very much to do with tolerating high temperature. I mean high emotional temperature and stress and uh, expectations and uh, in general fear of mistake or fear that result will not be good enough. So it is a higher, much more higher temperature work. So when I work in individual consultation, it is much more relaxed work, much lower temperature work. But uh, maybe because of these expectations and projections and higher temperature, maybe we also start perceiving this role as higher Hmm. in status, but maybe, maybe it is high because uh, it can get paid more because not everybody is willing to take this role. Not everybody is willing to kick oneself in the ass hmm. and to go and take some courage and to try it because it's very exposed. So it is connected with much higher risk.
as I say, much more risk, much more stress working with groups, much more courage I need, mm. much more inner strength I need because in the group often, usually I work with topics as culture, values, leadership, identity, uh, knowing oneself and others which are touching your, uh, which, which are provoking or touching points of view, uh, beliefs. Uh, everybody has their own beliefs. Everybody has their own values, their own perception, who they are, where they are good at or not very good at. And when we, we are in the seminar of uh, personal values or leadership, uh, values-driven leadership, or if we, were, we are working in an organization, uh, what is the current culture in the organization? What is good uh, in this culture? What is not working? What can be improved? Uh, it's becoming sensitive. Some people want to see what's not working. Some people do not want to see. And when they do not want to see something, <laughs> they close their eyes. <laughs> uh, then no, they actually quite often they, they start uh, challenging very much the facilitator. Mm. So you? Yeah. So this is a, a big risk, uh, but if, if to think how I feel working individually and with groups, sometimes I feel very meaningful. Uh, I feel sometimes in a very deep uh, work and con conversations, but sometimes uh, I feel a lot of resistance and it doesn't matter if I work with individual, because individual can also resist. Maybe it's more safe in individual consultation. But when in the group uh, the resistance appears, it is more visible, more vulnerable, maybe stronger. Uh, so, so in in a difficulty, in a temperature, <laughs> it is different. And uh, I have some colleagues who are uh, psychologists and they do individual sessions and also work with groups. And some of them choose not to work with groups because it's too much emotional load. Mm. And afterwards, you not only need to rest and then to prepare for another group, you also need to digest all the emotional load that you got from the group. And from the group, it's quite big. Almost never you are getting as much emotional load from individual. So I, I try to imagine what emotional load you are getting when you are performing a classical music concert for hundreds of people. I imagine that you should have it afterwards and it could be enough for several days or maybe longer. <laughs> I don't know, what do you think? It's very interesting. I think that the, the, the load, with the emotional load, which comes uh, with performing, if, if we talk about very... Uh, if we talk about very straightforward concert, you know, when people sit, there is a stage, there is some gap between the audience. I think in a way the emotional load comes from the performer itself, because very often people are, uh, people are very distant in the performance. 
because there's already the setting, you know, people sit a little bit uh, further away from the performer, mm -hmm. the performer is alone, separated from the audience. Mm -hmm. And this, there is almost no syner synergy, as if like we are not really changing the energy. Although we are, because there are so many uh, people we don't know and the energies are there in the hall, but somehow I, f I think that the most stress I got was from my own inner self that, you know, I have to deliver, I have to play mm -hmm. in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And it was not really, really uh, related uh, to the audience so much. But then now I'm started doing uh, very different performances where I engage with people much more. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, what you know you saw in the Mo Museum, another performance we did with uh, Anna with Piano Face Project, we uh, invite people to meditate uh, before the performance, and then we play all the classical music pieces. But this transaction for me doesn't really feel emotionally difficult anymore. Because somehow I feel that that energy feed me rather than than uh, take energy from me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just uh, I I never thought about it. But the the more straightforward classical music concert I play, I feel that the energy is rather taken from me than given. And uh, I guess it doesn't it doesn't have to be, you know. You don't have to collaborate with circus performance. You don't have to meditate before the performance. I just had a concert on Saturday where it was my husband's trio and uh, the setup was, you know, they were sitting close mm -hmm. and the way they were playing and uh, the, the way the audience was giving the energy, mm -hmm. I, I've never experienced anything uh, similar because they were giving as much as the audience were giving and then the magic happens, you know? Mm -hmm. So you feel tired in the way that you gave the energy, but you don't feel drained. So, so, so I think you answer it yourself. <laughs> uh, and, and it reflects very much also how I feel when I work with groups and organizations. Uh, if, uh, if what I am giving the group is open enough to accept because it's not uh, when I work with organizations, it's not as much what I give. I facilitate the work. I give a little bit, but in general, I facilitate their work so that they could uh, find a way to dialogue so that they could open up enough to become one, one team or to get closer to the reality of what it is in their organization, that they would become vulnerable enough to be able to make connections between themselves or learn each other better. So if I facilitate this and the work is happening, so I feel that there is an exchange of energy. 
And even if the work is difficult, the topic, for example, is difficult, or the group is a very difficult stage, for example, lost, uh, some colleagues were fired, they are in mourning stage, they are sad, but talking about it quite honestly, uh, then the energy is raising. And after the workshop, if even if the work was quite hard, I feel that it was a meaningful work and I have a lot of energy. And uh, the blood is running in the veins. So, and I feel the same as they feel. But mm -hmm. if I facilitate workshop and the group is very much in resistance or denial, uh, nothing happened. Our colleagues were not fired. Everything is okay with our culture. We, we are perfect. We do not have any place where to improve. I individually, I am perfect. I don't need to learn about my values or what is my personality type or I don't need to hear feedback from colleagues because it might change myself or my point of view. So if I resist very much and deny as a participant and if there are more this kind of participants, I feel that I am giving and the group is not taking taking or taking very little. So after such a work with the group, I feel exhausted because it's a lot of work to facilitate the work and to overcome the resistances, which has to be done gently. Mm. You cannot break them. You can touch a little bit, push a little bit, but you have to be gentle and safe. So, so this, this kind of work is very, very difficult. Mm. But not, not so difficult that you couldn't do this, as you say, even if you feel drained after concert. It's still meaningful. You have done your work and maybe part of the audience didn't take it, but part of the audience, I hope, took it and it was meaningful for them as well. Yes, it's still, it's still meaningful because in a way you present what you, what you've been working for, right? <laughs> There is still meaning in it. So you, you are bringing a gift. Yes. <laughs> I would like to come back to the topic that you felt that your work or service or a product, it's uh, hard to sell. How do you sell something which feels unsellable? <laughs> I can reflect a little bit uh, in the beginning when I started working as an organizational consultant. Uh, the classical way would be to make a lot of visits to organizations, which is also not very comfortable to organize these visits and to go and inquire how they are living and see whether you, you can support their goals or be somehow of, of use for what they want to achieve in organizations. So during the first year, I made a lot of visits which didn't work for me as a main sales channel. And uh, I started being more active in social media, uh, mainly as I work with organizations. So my main channel is LinkedIn. So I started uh, writing more 
my thoughts uh, and content connected to values. I believe uh, I was doing this uh, still quite authentic way. If you would take another organizational consultant and uh, give the topic of values and see how the communication goes, I believe that uh, I did with some authenticity the communication and it's the customer started coming. So someone who was reading, I, so, so you see what is difficult. I'm not doing everything. I can do certain things for organizations. I can, I, I can do consultancy projects, help them review values, help them review where they are with the culture or create new values, or I can help with leadership development, but it's not everything. So to visit uh, all the organizations and to propose very niche topic, it's not always that they need this. So when I started communicating more about it, how, how I see it, why it's important, I think, sharing more content about it, I started getting inquiries from companies and uh, human resource managers or people for individual consultations who were in need for this kind of sales, who were in the period where they need to review their values. And maybe I even didn't know them or didn't think that they would be interested. But uh, some of them knew me before as a person, and this was enough to trust me. But, but some of them were in need of this topic, particularly right now. And uh, they said to me that the way how they read about me, the way how, how they perceive my thinking or my writing, because there are some podcasts, some articles, some just posts. They said that uh, this way resonated for them, how they see work with personal transformation or values. And they started coming and started uh, giving word of mouth for me. And also uh, when in the periods when I didn't have uh, some projects with organizations, I used those periods to create something myself. Similarly, as you have been doing with Kona's Piano Fest. And actually what I found out, this was a very good uh, visibility and communication and sales channel because some of the people came to the workshops that I was organizing but some of the people saw workshops, but came afterwards for individual consultations or invited to do something the same in organizations because then the timing was not good or somebody didn't want to do this work in group, wanted to do this work individually, for example. So whatever you do, if you do this out of your purpose and do this, I don't know, authentically, it has a meaning for other people as well. So the work is not only the performance part, but the work is everything what you do. <laughs> and you yes. do not know with, with what you make a bigger impact. impact. Mm -hmm. 
very interesting. So I guess all the roles are very important. So, for example, when I think about Kona's Piano Fest, I think uh, that this is a very meaningful work uh, to make publicity, visibility, awareness of classical music in general, in general as a topic, uh, as of course you don't knew, you don't use this uh, word, but I use this word when I work with cultures, with values. I use the word industry. And we use we use uh, you, you use yeah? industry, yes. Yeah, because you also have all the generation uh, the industry don't like itself. That, but it is an industry. It is an industry, industry itself has certain values. Industry itself has certain culture mm. and uh, some projections which already goes to everybody who is in that industry. Yes. So you are making impact with Kona's Piano Fest, not only on yourself, but also on perception of classical music. Like this summer, for example, when uh, we visited your performance uh, with circus artists. So it was classical music merged with theater and uh, with modernity, so to say, yeah? Yes, like yes, a modern yes. performance. So, for example, this was the first time when my teenager, teenage daughter, who was together with me, said that for the first time this kind of performance was not boring for me. I'm surprised. Wow. Uh, because I came to this performance just because of you. Okay. <laughs> Mother asked, and I was not expecting that it can be fun, that it can be engaging and interesting. So in her perception, uh, something about classical music became a little bit more flexible. My work is done. <laughs> My work is done. It's very interesting what you say, because I, as I told you before, this performance was so difficult for me, so difficult. It felt that, uh, you know, I'm stepping on all of my values. On the other hand, it's I actually made a note before what you were talking. I'm, I think we all struggle to understand very often. Uh, I think this is where the archetypes come because mm -hmm. I don't really know why the performance was uncomfortable for me because I stepped on my values or I was scared about what other people think. I, I was struggling to understand why do I feel so uncomfortable as if, you know, is this against, uh, against my values or is this uh, something I'm scared to show because it might change my image? What could be those values uh, which you felt that you have uh, to neglect? What are those values of classical musician, pianist? What are those values that you felt you were challenging mm. or maybe overstepping? I think when before you were talking about that this in cert that every single industry has its own mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. frames, yeah. rules, traditions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in classical music, I think there is a certain. I mean, it's a very bad word, which I don't like to use. It's a, it's, it's, it's a certain snobism, mm -hmm. which I, I don't like myself to use, but, uh, um, I think by doing something that radical, 
I'm questioning uh, my belonging to this industry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in a way, I'm scared not to belong anymore to that in- industry. And I, and one, uh, my one side wants to belong there. My other side wants to do what I did with your daughter. Mm-hmm. I want, mm-hmm. because I see that the industry, yes, people say that some people say it's dying. Some people say it's not dying, but there is a struggle. There is a struggle that, uh, you know, the world is changing really fast. We have so many, uh, entertainment possibilities we have. We can go to cinemas and, you know, it's, and we have so many events that it's very hard. It's getting very hard to have your audience. Mm-hmm. And plus we have all the technology. So our attention span is mm-hmm. decreasing mm-hmm. Yeah. less and yeah. less uh, mm-hmm. stuff interests us. We get bored very quickly. So I'm also thinking about, uh, future of myself in, in a way as an artist. And also I, I guess I care about classical music, uh, until some point that I, I'm trying to look uh, for ways to invite new people to like it. And, and I understand that it's like Jung, you know, you cannot just take the book and immediately understand it. You need to invest time to understand and get the satisfaction out of it. And with classical music art, it's a little bit like that. It's, it's not a quick candy. You need some effort. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to find this tunnel with which I can, uh, give the, give the easiest form for, for the consumer, for the audience, but at the same time, maybe attract him to look deeper a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I will react a little bit when I said that a certain industry has its own, uh, its own culture, which is, uh, defined, not, not very strictly defined, but still. So when I was thinking about classical music, I was thinking there are, there is a module of competing cultures framework. Quinn and Cameron are authors of this module. They say that there are four most often appearing or expressed cultures that you find in organizations, but also you can use it to define industry as well. So, for example, one of the cultures is more conservative, where there is a bigger level of control, very important rules, and very important certain type of strictness, certain type of hierarchy, and uh, when I thought about uh, classical music, as you said in the beginning of our con- conversations, that sometimes it can be conservative, that you really need to learn how professionally to play piano, for example. And there are certain rules and standards and uh, pre- very precisely. So, so I imagined that maybe classical music industry fits into this culture type. Actually, pharmaceutical companies are in this type because they need to be very precise. There is not so much room for jazz and and playfulness and experimentation. And the value is to do the work punctually, precisely, in organizations efficiently, so to say, but in classical music, maybe to, to, to meet certain standards. So this culture 
has a challenge uh, accepting change. And when I work with organizations uh, where they are reviewing the cultures and values, uh, what is happening recently, recent uh, three years, for example, there is a shift happening from uh, conservative culture, even in the culture where you need to be conservative, like a factory, for example, manufacturing, for example, uh, logistics, for example, even in these kind of sectors, which used to be very much had expressed this culture type, they are moving towards culture of experimentation and create creativity, which previously used to be culture of startups, of IT companies, of, uh, I don't know, innovative companies. But now even companies which are not exactly in this field, they need to make several steps towards that because context is changing very rapidly. It's changing because of this digitalization, it's changing because of COVID, it's changing because of war, it's becoming more quick as to say attention span, uh, a lot of entertainment and so on. So all the cultures need to make a step towards that. But that culture, that culture is more about playfulness, about failing, about making mistakes, mm. about planning in short terms, about being very flexible. And uh, is this, uh, and if in that culture would be stability as a value, for example, preserving some classical traditional music as a value. And you are stepping into performance with a circus artist, with a theater, but specifically circus theater. So you are stepping into almost extreme opposite. <laughs> so maybe this is why you felt like you have one role and there is another role. And maybe here, is it, are you recognizing? Uh, yes, 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 mm -hmm. yes. And, and here, if to include uh, archetypes, archetypes actually came into our conversation when you called me and invited to participate in your podcast. And the uh, father of the archetypes is Carl Gustav, Carl, Carl Gustav Jung. And he, he draw the term archetype, but actually archetype is very common patterns, themes, which are repeating in behavior, in lifespan, in human psychology. And when you name it, it's like an image very easily recognizable. So Jung, for example, have coined five main archetypes, but two of them would be worth uh, to mention. For example, right now, what we, when we are talking, one of it, one of those archetypes is self. So who I am inside myself as a person, but there is an archetype persona. So persona is the role that I take. And I need a healthy personality to be able to pick my persona and role so that I would be connected to the world and to the context, so that I could recognize what is the context, that I wouldn't be detached from it. So maybe what you feel that if the world is really rapidly changing and it is the internal 
call and motivation to change uh, this persona a little bit, to make it a little bit more flexible, but also adjustable to the new reality that we have right now. Because otherwise, for whom and how you are fulfilling this role? If it's, if, if it may lose connection with the context. Hmm. Interesting idea. <laughs> then the, the, the answer will be that, I guess, if you stick to the role and you don't understand the context, you are almost, although, no, you understand the context, but you refuse to change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting f why. It's probably because you are scared to lose a certain status. But, but you almost, uh, you almost, almost uh, stop yourself. From, from doing the, from doing this. Yes, yes, yes. So you would stop because you felt that it could, uh, that you would overstep your previous values. Yes. But when you did this, you feel uh, that you overstepped those values and, or not? And do you feel that you grew or expanded a little bit yes. your potential or not? I feel that I expanded a lot, a lot, a lot. Mm -hmm. Je only positive, only positive uh, outcome out of it. I grew... I think I grew the most I've ever grown as an artist and person because later on, uh, because of that experience, uh, some other uh, experiences came into place, you know? So, mm -hmm. so I, you, you expanded. I expanded, yes. Internal possibilities to do like that, something like that, but also external possibilities came Yes, as well. yes. But it is very often connected what we have inside and how we limit ourselves, selves and what we have outside. So, so as you said, for example, if to come back to topic of values, when the context is changing, organizations and also individuals need to adapt if they want to survive. If they want to survive. Yes. yes. And to adapt, it means you will need to transform yourself. You will need to review your values and you will need to grow. And many people are choosing not to do this because uh, we have two simultaneous desires in our life or instincts. And one of it is to keep everything stable. And another is to grow. And they are in conflict with each other. Mm. So if you can tolerate uncertainty quite much, if you can tolerate high temperature, can tolerate conflict, then it is easier to transform and grow and integrate those two things together. But if you are not doing this often, you might choose uh, some conservative way and to stay stable but not grow. But if you choose to grow, then one of the reasons also why people stop themselves, because they feel that they are betraying previous values and that they are making a betrayal of loyalty to previous loyalty group. 
So, for example, if uh, to think what you just said, that by doing a modern performance where you integrate classical music with circus in the modern museum, you are making a betrayal of traditional classical conservative uh, approach to classical music. And the guilt is a very, very difficult feeling. And many people are not coping with it. Mm. And then choosing not to feel this guilt and choosing not to grow. The growth is always connected with some kind of betrayal of pre previous loyalty group. It's interesting. It's very interesting. <laughs> it, that actually, you are not doing anything bad. Nothing bad will happen to your group. And usually in our life, there are certain stages when we have to betray loyalty to our family. Like, for example, me going to work freelance. My mother was really scared, not being able to understand, first of all, my role that I have chosen organizational consultant. And second of all, what the hell can be wrong with you? That you had a corporate work, which was stable with every month's salary, and you are going to freelance, which is unstable, uncertain, what are you thinking? Yes. So I, I made a betrayal of this kind of belief, that uh, this kind of living, maybe in my mother's point of view, maybe was not seen as a normal professional path, where you can really make your living out of it and also be quite fulfilled and happy.
create a ruler and the gesture are not uh, from those main five archetypes that Jung presented in his works. Mm-hmm. Uh, those archetypes come from work of uh, Carol Pearson, who took specifically archetypes of uh, human psychological development. And when we were talking about uh, pianist or performer of classical music, and uh, I had the pleasure to read your master thesis, uh, where the challenge of classical music musician in 21st century is beautifully expressed the challenge between being an artist and the, ch- the challenge be- between making a living out of your professional role. So then we started, I remember, talking about the uh, archetype of artist in general. And uh, when you said about this uh, performance with the circus artist in modern art uh, museum and that you were really felt badly to make a performance there that overstepping your values or something. So I just took uh, one of the books of, about archetypes. This is another author, Carolyn Miss, and she is writing that lifestyle challenge for the artist is can I develop my talent and dis- express myself or will fear of failure or humiliation hold me back. So she's writing that this is a lifetime challenge for this archetype, for fulfillment of it, fear of failure. And you were doing a performance which is very uncertain, engaging audience, making fun, uh, and being able to integrate it with classical music. So you were actually doing failure, on purpose, almost, if to see strictly according to the rules of classical music. So this, I thought, would be interesting to see. And uh, and what you did, you brought in another archetype, a fool archetype or jester archetype, oh, yeah. uh, which is uh, responsible for living here and now, for making fun for enjoying life, for not taking too seriously things. So if you see that classical music is quite conservative and becomes maybe sometimes too strict, so this is exactly where the full energy or full archetype could be needed or invited to make it easier, to make it more flexible, and to allow it to be more playful and uh, experiment. This is one thing, but uh, another thing what I saw, and we didn't talk before, what I saw in your paper, in your master thesis, was the challenge uh, that we started our conversation. How, how can you sell yourself? You are an artist creating something very special, and at the same time, you have to be practical and go and sell yourself. So which, what was funny, also I would like you to quote from this book of archetypes, funny chapter, uh, which is called Myths of the Artist, of the Artist Archetype. And one of the first myths is the starving artist. 
<laughs> like a perception that that can can do only can rely only on charitable support or can only do charitable uh, I don't know concerts or whatever and has to be all the time starving and then then good artists for example another was also funny to see the bohemian artist free spirited artist. Actually, uh, I actually talked about this uh, in the Bohemian versus the entrepreneurial uh, that artist, also yeah. you have somehow to uh-huh. uh, to live to make your living chaotically, not organized, not practical, or something. Then artist star, of course, you wrote about that also that you have usually your agent. Yeah, if you are an artist star, and uh, agent will do all the work for you, and you know what is funny. Another is a working artist. <laughs> <laughs> working artist. A working yeah. artist who actually has to take care of Instagram account, of Facebook account, uh, make some plan and write a paper to get some funding for Kona's Piano Fest festival and also to organize a trip around the world for your duo or trio yes. <laughs> or whatever. Like really to mix the role of teacher, which is not so shiny, but also meaningful. And I think uh, maybe it's important to talk about it, that this is the reality. This is the true world of the artist that you need skills and courage to and will to do all types of things. So this was one thing. And um, the authors which talk about, uh, who, who talk about uh, archetypes of human psychology particularly, uh, quite often use uh, a term to balance your main archetype. So the artist, uh, maybe not necessarily the archetype, the main archetype of your personality, but of course an archetype of professional role of classical music performer. Just it belongs to the role, and immediately every everybody will get fantasies or imagination how this role has to be fulfilled, how it has to live. And uh, you can feel guilty for not doing something what other people are expecting. But when we are talking about uh, fulfilling this role sustainably, so there is another very important archetype which can balance um, artist archetype. This is an archetype of ruler, or sometimes it's called an archetype of executive, or an archetype of king. <laughs> So this archetype knows how to take care of practical things. This archetype knows uh, how to organize things in outside world. This, if the fool would know how to live life irresponsibly or to have fun all the time, if the artist would take care about creativity, uh, about quality of performance and creating experience for everybody who is watching or listening, the ruler archetype is quite in good connection with reality. What is happening, 
how to organize it, how to solve practical problems, how to understand what context is there and uh, what role or persona or mask is needed to fulfill the role appropriately in certain context. Because the context changed me, need from you not necessarily what is nice and beautiful and what you like. Like uh, when COVID started, all the artists were pushed out of their comfort zone because it was not possible, there was no possibility to meet audience. You needed to go online to create some other ways. I know that many uh, actors, they became teachers in schools for several years just to be able to survive. So the ruler archetype is responsible to recognizing what is the context and what is appropriate way of fulfilling role in this context. And, and it may encompass some conflict solving, some unpleasant work. It may encompass some politics mm. or keeping some relationships which are needed and network uh, which is needed for you, for example, to organize a festival of Kaunas, Piano Fest, let's see. And uh, this archetype is also sometimes called um, as a representation of our ego. And if it becomes too strict, too big as an archetype, uh, personality or our self can become in grip of it. So, for example, if you say that someone is performer of classical music uh, in a very conservative way, but finds oneself in the country or in the culture, which is very innovative, very where experimentation is very much accepted, which is very flexible and creative. So most probably if the ruler will be very strict and will say that only the conservative way of performing classical music is appropriate, this can cause failure of connection with mm -hmm. the audience, with the context and failure of possibility to perform your role sustainably. Because if you want to give your gifts to the world, it has to be dialogue and exchange. Uh, you have to be paid, you, you have to have courage to claim uh, financial reward. And uh, I was thinking about, uh, usually I work with, more usually I work with executives. Um, but when I was thinking, do I have someone that I have been working with similar challenge that you feel like an artist and have difficulty to earn for, for a living. And uh, it was an interesting example which came to my mind uh, about a person who is not artist, but actually close to artist archetypes are all other artists and inventors and innovators. So I had a client, uh, individual client, who was a very talented engineer. He was a young researcher uh, living not in Lithuania, and he founded 
uh, with several people, several companies, and he was uh, developing engineering solutions for some health issues, also for some finding ways how to make make easier just uh, our everyday living. And he's very hardworking, very passionate about his field, and very mission-driven. So he is always interested about the impact, about the idea, and how meaningful it can be for people. And he was working very, very hard. And uh, we worked with him on values, on stages of psychological development. And he was the least interested in practical values. You know, take care of your finances, take care of your profit, take care of your uh, stability, financial and physical, like really not to, not to get to the burnout or something like this. So he said that it's not his values. He's not interested in that. And when he founded his enterprise, uh, he was very hardly, hardly working, like really tough guy. And it, it started becoming, he started facing issues of health. He started facing issues of finances because most of the time he was in laboratory working or doing his work and research. And actually his business started generating profit and a good profit good return on, and uh, it turned out that he didn't take care of legal documentation when the companies were established and he was working like hell but he was not getting any money other people were getting his invention was successful but he was getting none and in the beginning, he even felt that it's inappropriate to claim for that because it's not polite. And uh, as a researcher and inventor, maybe you do not need to do this. And I'm not that kind of person. And my parents grew me not in that kind of style and so on. But actually, he, his work to balance himself was to claim what is his and to grow his self-confidence that the things that he's doing and creating, they are very valuable and they need to be paid for. And he needs to have courage to voice what's his invention and to claim what has to be paid and to take care about such boring and practical stuff and unmeaningful, unmeaningful stuff as legal documentation or administration work because one leg that he's standing is this inventor. So he's also an artist. And another leg on what he's standing is this ruler leg. And when you stand on both of legs, <laughs> you can feel the difference, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> yes, yes, it's very interesting. Uh, I think I already mentioned it uh, for you before that I, I found, of course, not uh, every day and not with every single uh, business side of my profession, but I found that when I immerse myself into this uh, role of ruler, it very often feeds the artist 
in a way it and and it not only feeds say uh, providing stability or you know finances but it actually feeds its artistic sides as if the sometimes i learned that when i do the business part of my profession i get inspired you know to create something new or i come up with some new ideas mm-hmm, which i i mm-hmm. didn't notice before mm-hmm. and uh, i think i never linked it that these kind of practical things can actually create uh food for the artistical side of me hmm so interesting when you say that you um uh, made a fusion between artist and a fool mm. if we would talk in archetypes mm-hmm. Uh, the outcome was very good expanded possibilities internal and external yes <laughs> so that the same is happening when you make a fusion of artist and ruler yes uh, also more possibilities yes exactly mm-hmm. uh, when you were talking i was uh, thinking about the idea of selling out because um, i think what you what you said about this person who founded the firms and and he's a he's a inventor um somehow the idea of selling out came to me because i thought that you know he feels that almost like claiming what he he has it, he shows that it's money or profit is more important than the actual idea and i think uh, many of us as artists feel like that that you know you do something different or we 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 don't see it maybe ourselves but we think that the society or you know people in the classical music music culture or industry will see you as a sellout because they will mostly think that you are doing this because of uh, profit or you know money and it's interesting because you know some some things i see myself and i think oh this is a sell out like i i feel that it, it there is some kind of uh dishonesty in the product so to say that you know you you can see that the product is only for so so you are talking that those myths that i just recently read that artist has to be bohemian or poor they are real they're real they are real yeah they're real mm-hmm. I, i i always thought you know that maybe we make up these uh, things in our heads as artists you know but i think many people uh, many people feel about that there was a there was a conversation with the audience member about another pianist and she, he saw that uh, the pianist is also teacher mm-hmm. and then his question was so i don't understand it is she a teacher or she's a performer and for me i i thought that you know what i talked before mm-hmm. about this that as if you are we are kind of hiding the role that you know you are a teacher uh, i thought that it's only in our heads but then when i heard it from the audience member that he also he, he doesn't he cannot understand how the same person can teach you know because it's much more comfortable for us to see the world in a simplistic form in a simplistic form yes so please can you make it more simple 
can you be just performing artist and no, not bring in to me all the complexity that you are doing so that I could just split away yes. everything which makes my life not so, e- not so easy. But life is in no, nowhere. It's so easy. Yeah, and we are living particularly nowadays in times where complexity is very, very high. Because of uncertainty, because of a lot of changes in the world, because of uh, all the digital new things and inventions that are coming. And it's not simple. So it takes some muscles, brain muscles, muscles, emotional muscles to deal with this complexity. And uh, to contain everything what is happening... So, for example, the ruler archetype, if to talk in the language of archetypes, is also archetype which helps to build a container in which you could more flexibly live, change roles, feel, experiment, because it helps as a structure not to break down when someone from the audience says... Oh, you are a teacher also. Why can't you be something very simple, somebody very simple? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So how those historical beliefs from previous centuries are still alive and they can change only if we confront them. Yes, yes. It's interesting if if by changing those beliefs you change, but if by changing those beliefs the people from outside change, because, you know, you will change your beliefs, but the the whole uh, industry will not change. So You know, do what you can <laughs> at the place where you are with the resources that you have. <laughs> and then you step out it, of it the makes, industry. It makes everything very practical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh what about that selling out selling out point have you ever thought about it i think many of us face this dilemma mm-hmm. you know what's mm-hmm. what's the sellout and should they be doing doing uh, meaningful work and mm-hmm. so i think it's also balancing for example me as an as organizational consultant working with values or you as classical music musician, you are providing a service which is kind of internal world service. Culture of organization is what's happening inside internally. When I work with somebody in individual coaching sessions, we are still working with some, with some emotions, feelings, beliefs, values, perceptions, which are things which belong to internal world. But uh, the world where we feed, live, buy our clothes, pay for our apartment is external world, very practical. And in external world, we need to be much more open, courageous, uh, have healthy aggression, healthy competition, 
to as an as I've told you in the example before, just to go out and see what is your invention or what kind of music are you playing or what kind of service I am providing and uh, claim also what's yours. Mm. Uh, financially also and claim and create a field where you are working and making impact and doing meaningful work which is actually a win-win work why it has to be win-lose win-lose yes so so it's also this for me let's say this ruler archetype or also warrior archetype or seeker archetype would be those who are inviting not to be afraid uh, to go outside if in archetypal language but it's interesting always uh, images and archetypes are from our subconscious where we can have insight or learn something that rationally we didn't know before and i brought to our podcast <laughs> archetypal cards and i'm just curious <laughs> And uh, I invite you, your curiosity, to choose uh, an archetypal card, which would be about classical musician. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> some let's magic. Let's see if it brings for us some fun and some additional insight. What is it? Light attributes. Exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> Exorcist, light attribute, freeing yourself and others of destructive impulses. Shadow attribute, fear of facing your own demons. Mm. <laughs> so what do you think, Yurgita? <laughs> so my first thought would be, you know, usually... Uh, the other archetype that Jung was uh, uh, talking a lot was the shadow, internal shadows, uh, our parts that we disown for different reasons. But also part of it is what is accepted in the culture or what is accepted in the classical music industry, for example. So like a shadow, at my shadow part would be that I cannot accept that part of me which could be administrator which could be teacher, which could be competitive and uh, go and be active in social media and go and be active in some networking, rotary clubs and really actively communicating about my industry. If to connect, for example, to this card, so, so exorcism, what you would need to do to free yourself from <laughs> limiting belief that there is only one way how classical music performer could look like mm. very interesting such an interesting card and that it's you know and it's uncontrollable it's, it's, <laughs> uncontrollable. Like, and it's very radical chosen, <laughs> very nice I like it a lot it has a beautiful almost like Native American person with feathers and some uh, percuss percussive instruments, which I actually use in my performances now. In your pre but in your previous podcast. Yes. Per I, percussion. Also mm -hmm. with percussions. Mm -hmm. Oh, so interesting. Mm -hmm. So I'm going the right direction. <laughs> <laughs>
And I have one, one more thing that I thought about the day when we are meeting. Uh, last year, uh, I met my colleagues uh, who are practicing, uh, who are engaged into group relations method. Uh, this is a method, a format uh, to work with experiential learning um, in groups, learning about group dynamics, about yourself. So my colleagues, they are very inventive and trying out uh, also experimenting with different other creative uh, fields, how to make this classical format uh, more flexible. And uh, they told me about the term, the third paradise. The third paradise. The third paradise. Uh, this is an artwork which became a social movement and the artwork was presented in 2005 in Venice Biennale, Biennale. Mm -hmm. and uh, you know how infinity symbol looks like mm -hmm. like uh, two circles intersecting between them so he created a symbol which is from three circles intersecting between them but in a row so so to say infinity symbol has one additional circle in the middle mm -hmm. so he says basically this is Michelangelo Pistoletto if someone would like to google so he says says basically that it was the first paradise when human beings were very much connected to nature this was the second paradise Artificial paradise, where artificial intelligence, technology, digitalizations, uh, artificial needs, artificial worlds were created. And that we are entering a new era uh, where we have to create third paradise, where we need to integrate both. Mm. Uh, so what are we talking about the modern classical music performer? That he needs to integrate Uh, two opposites, like opposites being an artist and being a ruler and selling oneself, but also in this third paradise that we as humanity need to integrate ability to stay with nature and to protect it, but also be in touch with technology and artificial intelligence. And only in this way uh, we will have a rebirth of the earth And we will have a sustainable future as humanity. And uh, as I understood, this work developed into social movement. And uh, now it is a world rebirth, earth rebirth, or world rebirth day celebrated every 21st of December. Okay. So today is the rebirth day. So a lot day. of... Uh, Rebirth events are happening all around the world. And uh, when I learned about it, I didn't have possibility to do anything. I have it in my calendar as a World Rebirth Day. But I didn't do anything particularly connected with this. And it's very interesting that we are having a podcast specifically, particularly on this day. And I think that the topics that we were covering are matching. Yes, It's almost like a rebirth of uh, of an artist. <laughs> yeah, finding your new form of uh, being. 
I really like that. <laughs>